This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. How about it? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mountaineer Media Podcast, our first episode of 2022, and we're more than thrilled to be back. Yes, everybody take a sigh of relief. 2021 is officially behind us for all of the good and the bad. But hey, as we head into 2022, we're going to keep doing what we love to do, bringing you guys the best of the best from West Virginia, introducing you to the great minds of the state and highlighting the incredible things going on around this wild and wonderful place we call home. Today, we've got a stellar guest lined up. You might even say an interstellar guest who's taking us to the stars to kick off the new season. Coop, hey, glad to be back with you, buddy. Tell us a little bit about who we've got lined up today. Hey, CJ, super excited to be back with you as well, telling authentic West Virginia stories, something we dearly love to do. Today, we've got an incredible episode with Dr. Jim Jackson. He's an internationally known astrophysicist, and he's the brand new director of the Green Bank Observatory in Pocahontas County. So today, you're gonna learn about how a telescope works, why West Virginia is the leader in search for extraterrestrial life, and also we dive into the history of astronomy and how ancient civilizations are helping us learn about the stars above. A fun way to kick off the new year, so let's get to it. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, welcome into the first episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast in 2022. We are stoked to be back. I know, a little woohoo. We need some like <laughs> season three, you know, some, <laughs> uh, yeah, some like uh, confetti to shoot out or something here. But uh, no, and we honestly couldn't have thought of a better way to get started in 2022 than uh, having a great guest on. And we definitely have that Jim Jackson, internationally known astrophysicist. He is uh, one of the top guys at Green Bank, the Green Bank Observatory. And he actually just took over that role in 2021 in October. So kind of give us some background. What is it that you do there? Because other than just having a couple of big telescopes and, uh, you know, uh, not not uh, any Wi-Fi and not, you know, people don't know too much about Green Bank. Other yeah. than you know, it got, looks up at the sky, too. So hey, yeah. maybe you tell us what you do and a little sure. bit about the observatory. Well, sure. Well, thanks for having me on. This is great. Um, I'm I'm the director at the Green Bank Observatory. So I, I guess, oh God, what's my role? It's like the CEO of the observatory. Yeah. So I make the decision. I kind of run the place. I make the decisions about strategy and make sure that we're doing the best science we possibly can. Uh, respond to the government and our sponsors um, when they when questions arise and just work with them to make sure that we're spending the taxpayers money wisely. Right, so uh, we we have telescopes on site. Uh, Green Bank was the the original site of the National Radio Astronomy Observatory. Mm -hmm. So when radio astronomy started taking off as a as a discipline in astronomy, say in the fifties, the um, observatory was started, and the U.S. got in on this game and in a big way. So they bought a lot of land in um, Green Bank, uh, West Virginia. Um, and started building many, many, many telescopes. If you've ever been, it's, it's amazing. There's all these telescopes everywhere. They're, they're like radar dishes. Um, we look at the sky for radio signals. Uh, currently our workhorse instrument is the Green Bank Telescope. And this is the world's largest fully steerable radio telescope. It's two acres of metal. It's, an, it's oh a gosh. very impressive thing, <laughs> very impressive engineering thing. It's like 400 feet off the ground at the, at the highest Bit. Jeez, I didn't realize it was that big. My gosh. Yeah, it's it's enormous. It's taller than the Statue of Liberty, slightly smaller than the Washington Monument. 
And so <laughs> that's insane. That is, it's a, it's a landmark in itself. It is. You <laughs> can see great. it for miles. You really yeah. can. Yeah. So, so West Virginia was chosen purely because of, I'm assuming the ability to be completely out away from light pollution and noise pollution in cities. Like from early on, was that yeah. the original thinking? Like this is a remote spot. This is where we need to stick a yeah. piece of equipment like that's this. That's right. So, um, you know, for radio, so we don't care about light pollution, we care about radio pollution. So mm -hmm. think about it as radio interference. So we don't like television stations or radio transmitters. Um, you know, we don't like Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> any, anything that kind of uh, produces radio signals is, uh, is, yes, right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But anything that produces radio signals is glare to us, right? It, okay. it drowns out the signal from the things we're looking at in, in space. So um, Green Bank was chosen as one of the radio, I think it was the most radio quiet spot east of the Mississippi mm. at that point. And so, you know, they thought it would probably be good to be close to Washington, D.C. for political purposes. But, um, no, it's and, and Green Bank itself is beautiful. So it's, it's in Pocahontas County, surrounded mm -hmm. by mountains on all sides, a beautiful valley. But those mountains actually also shield us from some of the radio transmissions coming in. Hmm. So um, it, it is a beautiful radio quiet spot. And now it's protected by, the, by some laws that, and regulations that prevent um, new transmitters and very powerful transmitters from being built in the area. So we're part of the, the National Radio Quiet Zone. That's cool. Which is, which is yeah. a big, big area that uh, is protected to let us do our job. Cooper, breaking news. Mr. B was named the best West Virginia-made food product. I know you, big potato chip guy. So this was like, uh, this this certainly was something that you were paying attention to. Does not surprise me one bit. Mr. B chips is the only chip that I actually consume. So it's a delicious <laughs> chip and I oh, will- Oh, no way. I, I was no, There's no way that that's the only potato chip that it you- It is. I'm a loyal <laughs> fan of Mr. B because of the incredible entrepreneurship, philanthropy efforts from Marianne Kettleson, the CEO of Mr. B Chips. And it's a, look, she makes an incredible chip. Why not make it exclusive to my diet to have uh, Mr. B Chips? You know what though? I can picture you sitting down at a restaurant and like the sandwich comes out and then they're like do you like chips or fries and you're like pass i've got my own and then you just bust open potato chips and just use that instead but it is pretty incredible they've got all these different flavors original sour cream and onion barbecue honey barbecue dip style cheddar sour cream jalapeno salt and vinegar they even get the potato stick style like the thin little potato chip styles do you have like a favorite that you go to i would say barbecue honey barbecue but uh what what about you do you have a favorite barbecue is a staple definitely but you can't really miss with the original if you're at a barbecue if you're at a cookout if you're playing golf i will throw those in my bag uh they're guaranteed to be people's uh, favorite little chip little uh snack that they have so i'm more of a classics i like to play the classics barbecue and original yeah, I, I like I, I really cannot just get into like the all the other little flavors like I, I don't know like jalapeno man I, I don't know I'm, I'm still working my taste buds but Mr. B definitely a great product so I you know we'll it, I'll be willing to give it a try I guess. MrB.com, Marion Kettleson. She's an incredible lady. They make the Mountaineer Media Podcast possible. Thank you to them. Support them. They're a West Virginia company. And go to MrB.com and show your love to them as well. So what are like, how do you, the day-to-day -day operations of the yeah. largest telescope, you flip it on and you just look in the sky and see what you find? Or is there always yeah. something like there's always a project or do, are you, are there several yes. projects? How did that, how does that all kind of tie together? That's a great question, CJ. So what we do is we, we open up the facility to the, the community and the community is not only U.S. astronomers, but any astronomer in the world. So we, we have an open skies policy where anyone community. can it's a big community. There are something like 10, 10 20,000 astronomers on Earth, right? So it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a pool of astronomers there who are interested in using the telescope for their research. They apply through a proposal process mm. and they ask for time. So they get, say, here's the science I want to do. Here's how much time it's going to take. Here's what instruments I'm going to need on the telescope. 
And then those proposals go and are reviewed by a committee of our peer astronomers, not by us, but by you know, representatives of the community. They rank them according to how good the science is. And then we execute them as best as we can. So, you know, there's, there's, there's always a lot of competition for certain frequencies or certain uh, places on the sky. Some, more, some sources are more popular than others. And then we just rank order them. And for us, weather matters. So we have an interesting scheduling system. So we do have this pool of projects, right? So we have mm -hmm. pool projects. Some of them really need good weather. And we want to we wanna make sure that the projects that require good weather get it. And so we have this dynamic scheduling process where we, we look at the weather forecast and we say, okay, there's gonna be really good weather coming up. And the things that we wanna look at are up at night. And so let's schedule those projects at that time. And then we'll schedule the next best project at the times that the weather isn't good or, or weather that don't need that, that excellent weather. And so we have a pool of projects that we draw from and we try to, to schedule our very top ranked projects first. Once we get through those, we'll schedule some of the lower ranked, but still quite good projects. And then we have some projects that we call filler projects, which are really good projects, but that don't really require, that require sources all over the sky and can be done essentially all the time. And then we'll draw uh, sources or targets from those. So the telescope's running 24 seven. We shut it down one day a week for you know the work day for maintenance. We do things like you know grease the bearings and and you know swap receivers or fix things that are broken on the telescope. Tighten so the screws uh, just a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the so, summer we have a shutdown period where we do some of the things that require a extensive shutdown, like painting or yeah. fixing the track or so some 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 heavy maintenance work. Yeah. Well, you want to make it look good too. So I, I absolutely. So uh, it's also important that we, it doesn't rust, right? That's, yeah, that's really exactly. what we're painting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you as the director, do you have, what is your level of say in taking on those projects? And can you tell us what are some of the, the bigger projects that you're specifically working sure. on right now? So I'm, I effectively, um, I'm, I'm in charge of making all the decisions. So that's what cool, I, man. you know, I don't make, I don't say, okay, we're going to do this project today. I know I have experts who do that for me and we have some algorithms that, that look at the PQ and come up with kind of an unbiased score, but, but, uh, I'm, I'm in charge of the strategic direction and I'm, I'll make all the calls that require decisions on the kind of the, the level that require lots of money. So that's, that's my like job. It. Yeah, the so, big money. So, so I'm sure you get a lot of people reaching out to you say, hey, Jim, I got a... Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, people, you got to be where the people with their hands out the first week you're there. But uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. And, uh, you know, it's the, the fun thing about the job is I'm, I'm, it's, it's now a time where we've weathered some storms with funding. We've gotten over that hill. The funding is stable. We have some projects. And I'll get back to your question, CJ, with the projects we have. But... Now the, the, the fun bit is like, okay, now what do we do next? What's the next great thing we can do? How do we make yeah. the telescope better? Or how do we yeah. improve the telescope? Or how do we improve the instruments that we use to do even better science or more ambitious science? So that's, that's the kind of thing that's that cool. I'm really looking forward to. The kind of projects we do, so we have this open skies time, the NSF National Science Foundation funds us, uh, most of our operations, about two thirds of it. And that's the open skies time. So any astronomer can apply for time and if their project is deemed excellent, they will get the time and we will collect the data for them and we will help them process the data and they will write this, the great scientific papers with, that make the great discoveries. The, we have a couple of other partners um, who use the telescope uh, for their own uh, special purposes. So one of them is a really cool project called Nanograv. And Nanograv is looking for gravity waves by looking at uh, these, these pulsars, which are rotating neutron stars. Okay. Think of them as excellent clocks. These are things that pulse in the radio in a very regular way. So they're stars that are really compact, okay. take the sun and smash it down to the size of a city. And then because um, they have these huge magnetic fields, they emit radio waves. And as they rotate around, that pulse of radio waves will come into and out of your view. And Ooh. so it's like a lighthouse. We'll see a little blip, blip, oh, wow. blip, blip. Holy yeah. cow. And, and the reason that they're so, they're, they're cool in themselves, by the way. They're really cool in themselves. <laughs> so. But um, they're excellent clocks. So 
take a star, smash it down the size of Manhattan, and then then whirl it as fast as uh, something in a blender. That's that's a neutron star. It's, oh it's fascinating. It's really cool. Wow. But they're excellent clocks. And so we can use them as clocks and make tests of things um, like um, uh, predictions from general relativity. So Einstein said that space and time are coupled together and gravity will make ripples in space and time. And that's what we're looking for, those ripples. Gotcha. If there's a ripple that happens to go past, the, the time, the clocks will run a little slow or a little fast. And we can use these pulsars as these perfect clocks. So by looking at them and timing them, making sure we understand how, exactly how fast they're going all the time. If we see them speed up a little bit, all the, the pulsars in that part of the sky speed up a little bit. And then later all pulsars in that part of the sky slow down a little bit. That they don't, they don't know about each other, right? So they're, they're not Whoa. saying, hey, let's all speed up. What's really happening is a gravity wave has passed and is distorting the space-time around us and making the <laughs> clocks appear to run faster in one in, or slower. So this is a fantastic project. So they, they take about, <laughs> I don't know, 20% of our time or so. And wow. it's a fan, they, they, they have their, their own funding. Then the other project we have a lot of um, time devoted to is the, our, our partners with, called Breakthrough Listen. And they're looking for signals from other civilizations. So they're looking for oh, Here we go. I, this is what I was going to do. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I've been <laughs> Not that I'm like an alien. Cooper is the but... alien guy on this. Just yeah, so, alien. Okay, Cooper. Right. <laughs> well, listen, just hear me out. Hear me out, Jim. Hear me out. Because like, all I'm right. obviously, you know, you can speak to us like we're five. We have no real scientific knowledge on any of this. So like, but my you know like i've just been fascinated with the concept of like you watch these documentaries and not like super alien came down did the pyramids yeah. that sort of thing i'm talking about like they just lay out the simple math around there's billions of planets billions of galaxies and we can only observe like this little portion of the like mm -hmm. the universe and then you just think like how would it just statistically not be possible for something else to form it's I, it's just our ability to see out there and i think what's interesting is what maybe you kind of just like enlightened me on is that probably the most likely way we're ever going to detect something is through something like like a sound wave am i right instead of like seeing something it's going to be like 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 seeing like a radio signal come through or yeah. radio wave come through like that yeah. would be the most likely way to really stretch out like far distance activity is that correct so look so let's let's uh, so radio waves and sound waves are different things right radio yeah. is a form radio is a form of light okay it's just it's a form of electromagnetic radiation that just happens to have very long wavelengths that their eyes are not sensitive to but it's the same sort of phenomenon as light. Um, you know, we, we transmit sound through radio signals and that's, that's where the confusion comes in. So we're not, we're not actually listening because sound needs air to travel in and there ain't no air in space, right? <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So, but, but radio is a, so look, radio is a, would be a good way, we think, for if, if you want to announce your presence to the rest of the universe because it's cheap to make and it would stand out against the rest of the signals from space. So if you have a, say a, a really powerful radar and you were just beaming it out there and another civilization had radio telescopes like we do, they could probably see. You. And so that's mm -hmm. the, that's the kind of idea is that the, uh, if, if a technological civilization has radio, that might be the way they would choose to communicate or to announce their presence because it astronomically would stand out. And we assume that all intelligent civilizations have lots of astronomers always looking at the sky, right? Of course they would. You would think so, and, yeah. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the idea. And that's what we're looking for. Now, you know, unintentionally, these civilizations may also just leak radio waves out in space in the course of normal business, like Earth does all the time, right? We could detect Earth. If, if you were living on a nearby star, you could probably detect Earth from its stray radio ra radiation that it's intended to you know, cover the ground, but a lot, some of it goes into the sky, will go out into space. So there's some, some radio leakage, if you like, from Earth that could be detected. So this is one of the ways that people are thinking about looking for extraterrestrial civilizations by looking for their radio signals. And Breakthrough Listen does this in a very systematic way. 
CJ, if you were going to look for a job in West Virginia, what website would you go to? Um, I ca- I've got to guess. Are you going to tell me what website I should go to? If I was looking for a job, CJ, you know what I would do? I would go to beamountaineer.com. That's beamountaineer.com. And at that website, CJ, you're going to find Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Won't you tell our listeners about Mountaineer Employment Solutions? I was going to say beamountaineer.com. That was my answer, Cooper, to answer your first question. That was going to be my answer. But yeah, there's no doubt. Mountaineer Employment Solutions, if you were looking for a job in the state of West Virginia, that has got to be your first and only stop. It probably will be your only stop if it's your first stop because these guys are the premier talent acquisition and staffing leader in the state of West Virginia. They serve businesses and job seekers across the state and beyond from their offices in Charleston and Morgantown. So if you're looking for a job, they can hook you up. If you are looking, if you're a business and you need some extra employees, they can help you out with staffing as well. So dude, it's a one-stop shop. If you need help or if you're looking for a job, boom, beamountaineer.com. Go to those guys, Cooper. What's so what your personal, what's your, your personal take? I mean, as you kind of come, I mean, I'm sure do you wear separate hats. Do you have like a, like a side of you where it's like completely kind of thinking about it? Like, huh, man, I just wonder. And then there's like the real scientific side of you. That's like, huh, well, the data doesn't, we're not there yet. Like, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. So look, it's one of the nice things about where we are with science today is that it's, it's no longer an issue of belief. We can go out and test the idea. Right? We can actually see if it's out there. And that's what Breakthrough Listen is doing. Now, look, you, you made the point. There are 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. The Milky Way galaxy has about 100 billion stars. What we're finding is that more and more stars, we're finding more and more stars have planets. We're detecting planets now around other stars. And it's not particularly uncommon. Most stars probably have planets, and pr- most stars probably have several planets. So the solar system is not a particularly unique or a rare object or a rare system. So now, now, now the question, the million dollar, the trillion dollar question, how likely is it to form life if you have stars and planets? And that's, we don't know the answer, but we're starting to get to the point where we can answer those questions. We have to detect the planets first and we know where to point if we have a, we, we, we may be biased, but we think that water, like liquid water is important for life. So we, if a planet is at the right distance from its star where there's liquid water on its surface, um, then, then, you're, then the question is, is life inevitable? We don't know the answer to that. It, it's, it's like, it can be, a, you know, it's not really a theological question. It's a scientific question that yeah. we can begin to answer. Sure. Now, how how closely do you follow i believe it's called the james webb like the thing they sent yeah. out like how how close and maybe even describe to the listeners if you're familiar on like what exactly that's seeking to do and how, sure. how that's a little bit similar to what the technology yeah. i guess was of green bay yeah so um james webb is a is a is a telescope that was launched into space and successfully deployed which is amazing right so yeah. this was an, an amazing engineering feat it's a it's an expensive proposition it's like the Hubble Space Telescope, but it's bigger. And so it had to kind of unfold like an umbrella to open up the dish in space. So it's not as big as Green Bank. It's not two acres of telescope, but it's pretty big. So um, what they do is look at not radio waves, but infrared waves. So you know, it's a shorter wavelength than radio, but longer wavelength than, than visible light. And in the infrared, there are all sorts of interesting chemical indicators of uh, molecules, for instance. Um, in, uh, we'll have uh, transitions in the infrared, and we can detect these transitions and say, okay, there's that molecule there. So the James Webb is going to do some amazing things. One of the things it's going to do is it's going to search for the protoplanetary disks, the, the precursor to solar systems around other stars. Um, it, it, it may be able to, and I think it probably can, when a, if, a, if a planet passes in front of a star, the starlight will pass through that planet and pass through that atmosphere, and you may be able to detect those molecules. Ooh. And if the molecules are weird molecules like oxygen or methane or phosphine, we don't know, of any, they're so reactive, we don't know of any way to keep them in the atmosphere other than constantly producing them with life. 
So we may be able to detect the presence of life by with this telescope. Wouldn't that be cool? Now, we don't know what kind of life it is, right? So it could be bacteria, it could be plant-like, it could be, who knows? And we, we probably lack the imagination to really understand they're not, they're not going to be like us, right? They're not right. going to be like, you know, humans e. walking around. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But who knows, right? So, and it, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating um, time that we're at the, we're at the doorstep of actually maybe being able to detect life on other planets. What an amazing discovery that would be. Is, do is, you you got to think you're in the top what top 100 top five if people find out about aliens your position being the director of the Green Bank, you got to be go? in the top yeah you're well, in if, a couple of years before we know jim come not, on not well breakthrough <laughs> listen so, so let's that's a really great question suppose they find a signal what do they do about it right yeah, yeah. so if breakthrough listen finds a signal that what they have to do is verify that it's there and real and come you know so you know by ch- there may be by chance the instrument has a glitch or there's some, I don't know, some satellite that happens to go over and broadcast when it shouldn't, or, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong here and fool them. And so they're gonna be really cautious about it. So if they do see what they think is a signal, what they're looking for is a very narrow band radio signal, like a, you know, like a TV broadcasting with very specific frequency, but very little bandwidth that will stand out above the noise and require the least amount of power, right? So you want, you want a lot of power in a, in a small range of frequencies. Um, if you detect a signal like that, then they're gonna have to go to, probably to another telescope to verify it, or they'll, they'll find it with another telescope and they'll come to Green Bank and then we'll verify it. And then they have to say, is this a natural phenomenon? Could this be produced? astrophysically without the intervention life or could it does it really require life and then they would they would publish it and there'd be lots of fanfare and yeah it's like oh my god and then then we would have to decide as a society how are we gonna respond to this are we gonna send the signal back and say hello and then yeah. you know then the, then the sci-fi movies start right then the plague of you know locusts come and eat us right so <laughs> no, no, or, no. <laughs> more likely they'll say hello back and we'll engage in a in a nice conversation but let's let's get there first and, and see what what's uh what's out there and we're we're as you said we've only looked at a really small portion of the universe tiny amount like yeah. how small like, like give us a perspective like what do you like what is what does that mean like five percent or like like oh gosh so <laughs> let's i asked the question these guys like how far away would earth have to be for you to be able to detect it with your equipment that the breakthrough listeners said so um and they said yeah you could probably detect earth 10 light years away um maybe if there was a radar signal beaming you could detect earth maybe 100 or a thousand light years away the milky way is tens of thousands of light years across so it's just a small portion I, you know, I, I can't put a number on it, yeah. but, you know, maybe they're more powerful, right? So Earth is not particularly powerful. So, the, you know, the more power they're putting into the signal, the further away you can see them. And then, of course, we, we can we can see we can see yeah. that. So what they're looking at is they're, they, they're doing some systematic studies of the nearby stars. They're looking at toward the center of our galaxy where there are more stars, but further away. And then they're, you know, the, the other thing they could do is look at other galaxies. And I think they're doing this as well, where, you know, you get 100 billion stars. But then, then they have to be broadcasting a lot of power at us for us to see them. But mm. you know, who knows? Who knows what they're doing? So the the placement of this is very strategic, right? It's not just like we just shot it up. We this is a spot that we think there's a good chance if we're going to find anything, this is where we think this direction that it's going is where we think it's going right. to be. So the breakthrough listen guys are being very systematic about it, and and they they put a lot of thought behind, and they have a multi pronged approach. So they're 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 they they're looking at nearby stars they're looking at kind of the center of our galaxy which are many more stars but further away and they're looking at other galaxies which are even further away but many many more stars so you know we'll see cooper are you looking to buy or sell a home in kanawha putnam or cabell counties right now i'm not but i might know somebody who is cj what should they do Yeah, so look, this is as easy as it gets. You're going to skip on over to buildingappalachia.com 
because they are going to be able to help you out if you're looking to buy or sell in Kanawha, Putnam, or Cabell counties. Those guys at Building Appalachia are great. So you just head over to their website and then there's literally a link. I'm looking at it right now. It says, we buy houses in West Virginia. We sell houses in West Virginia. And you can click the tab, sell a home, buy a home. Easy as that, easy as that. And then you're gonna get a call from those guys. They're gonna wanna come check the place out. They're gonna give you a cash offer. So man, if you need cash trying to sell a property, dude, they, they'll have it to you. And, and, and these guys at Building Appalachia, just uh, they've got it figured out. Jordan and Jacob, we had them on the podcast. You heard their story. You know their mission of trying to make West Virginia a better place to live and work. No hidden fees, no commissions. Call Building Appalachia at 304-881-8487 or go to buildingappalachia.com. The link is in our bio and all of our social media. Get connected with them to buy, sell, or invest in real estate in Southern West Virginia. Jim, what is something like a space kind of star fact that you can't even like, it's just like so mind blowing. It's hard to wrap your head around. Like what's something that still just like astonishes you? <laughs> yeah. You as an internationally like, known astrophysicist, oh, what yeah, still yeah, blows yeah. your mind? That's <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, one of the, my personal research interest is in how stars form in baby okay. stars. And one of the things that just blows my mind is the fact that the way that elements get cycled into the galaxy is through the formation of stars. The early universe made hydrogen, helium, a little bit of lithium and nothing else. So then you ask yourself, well, we have carbon in us. We have oxygen in us and nitrogen and phosphorus and sulfur. Where did those come from? And the answer is they were made in stars. So these stars had to form and either eject material from their atmospheres into space. That's one way they do it or blow up a supernova, which is another way to do it. The heavy elements in you, th things heavier than carbon, say, you know, oxygen or um, sulfur or phosphorus or whatever, um, was probably formed in the center of a very high mass star, much more mass of the sun, and blew up. And then, then the question is, how did it get into you? Well, that space was sprayed with this dirt, a new star formed, um, you know, it blew up and space was, had more dirt in it. And then, you know, uh, five billion years ago or so, the sun formed from that polluted material, had a little disk around it. And part of that little disk was the earth. And then those, so those atoms that wow. were living inside of stars are now in you. So we are star stuff. We are literally we made are the of universe. the stuff yeah. that formed inside of stars. We, so that's, we are that, connected to this process. Is, is that the big boom theory at its core, what you just explained? I no. mean, is that, okay. No. So the big bang theory is, uh, so the big bang, you know, not the big boom. What I was talking about, supernova, <laughs> these are stars exploding. Uh, the big bang theory was a, a way to try to understand how the whole universe formed. And again, this was, this came about in the, after Einstein's theory of gravity, the theory of general relativity, which I talked about earlier, space and time. Uh, one of, if you look at Einstein's theories of how gravity works and apply it to the whole universe, there are some solutions to these equations where the universe is not static, but mm -hmm. is expanding. That space is not, uh, you know, the fixed, but the distance between galaxies gets larger and larger and larger with time. Yeah. And people, when Hubble was doing his work in the 40s, he noticed that if you look at a galaxy, the further away it was, the faster it was moving away from you. And that's the signature of an expanding universe. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really kind of an illusion because if you stood on those galaxies, you would see us moving away from them. But yeah. it, it, the, the correlation between how fast something is moving in distance, which is called the Hubble relation, is a signature of this expanding universe. It's like, holy crap, the universe is expanding. Now, okay, let's play the movie backwards. If the universe is expanding, then if you run the movie backwards, everything right. is getting closer Close together and closer together. Right. And at some point in the past, everything was on top of everything else. Wow, okay. That's the big bang. Gotcha. It gotcha. is that moment. So the universe began um, with everything on top of everything else, and then everything was moving away from everything else. Yeah. Wow. And it, that makes that, but that, so it's a, it's a scientific theory that has makes several predictions. So mm -hmm. one of the predictions is 
you should see only hydrogen and helium mostly because the early universe could cook up some hydrogen and helium, but it couldn't cook up the heavier elements. So there shouldn't be anything like a lot of carbon or nitrogen or oxygen in space, and there isn't. So that's a beautiful prediction of the theory. You should see all the galaxies moving away from each other. We do. And the, the further they are away, the faster they should move. We see that. The other really cool thing, the prediction from this, is that early in the universe, the universe was opaque. And so you should see in all directions, you should see the glow from when the universe was opaque. Mm -hmm. And we do. It's called the microwave background. Now, it's, it's no longer like red hot or yellow hot as, as the sun is because the universe cools as it expands. But it, that radiation is still there. We see it now in the radio, it turns out. It's a microwave hmm. radiation. And so everywhere you look, there's the glow from the Big Bang. And it's exactly the right um, uh, level, what has the right amount of power that was predicted. The universe is now about three degrees above absolute zero. That's, that's the remnant of the glow. And so it's a really, it's a really wow. fabulous theory where all its predictions have been verified. So it's, again, it's not, this, is not, this is not religion. This is science. We have testable ideas. Yeah. And so far, the Big Bang Theory has passed every test. I can tell just from the way that you speak that when somebody looks at a beautiful piece of artwork, they're like, wow, this is beautiful. You look at the, the universe as a beautiful piece of artwork, don't you? I can just tell in uh, the way that you speak about it, it, it is just like the way that you talk about what you've seen and, and the history of the universe, that it is just like this, this beautiful uh, collection of, of, of everything to you. And it, Yeah, just, look... <laughs> I, uh, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm, I am a frustrated artist. Like I can't draw to save my life. <laughs> yeah. But I do. I, I I look at some of the pictures that I see or some of the images that I've made personally, and I think that's just beautiful. That's just that that is art, right? And yeah. that's that's uh, there's there's maybe something mystical there. I don't know, but I I do. I, I like a good piece of art. Like the next person. I, mean, I love art. Don't get me right. wrong. But I I think I think very visually and. Maybe that's why I was drawn to astronomy, but it was, I, I do really appreciate what I look at. And, and the first time you see an image, you don't think, oh, well, that's a very interesting science. It's where you like, oh my God, that's beautiful. That's right. my reaction. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, it's deeply, it's deeply human too, to look up at the stars and literally, I mean, Completely. and wonder and, 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 you know, and think about these things. What, what kind of shifting gears a little bit blows my mind is that all of this, like the heavy, heavy scientific equipment and, and research and like equations really, I don't know, the last two, 300 years, but, but ancient man, like we were, they were looking up at the stars and navigating seas and building pyramids. Like, does anybody now try to like, like look back at like, you know, ancient like philosophy and documents and like try to understand how they were interpreting the universe. And I think sure. like, because they were, I mean, in my mind, wildly sophisticated ability yeah. to read the universe, read the stars and then navigate yeah. things like tides and the, you know, the yeah. sea and building and all that. Like, is there anybody that still kind of like carries on that, that type of stuff? Yeah, sure. Cooper. That's a great question. And, and the answer is yes. And yes. So there, there are two aspects of that. One is, do we, do we care and are, are people interested in kind of the history of how ancients understood the sky and how they, they appreciated the sky? And the answer is yes. Um, so there's a, there's a, I used to be at Boston University for many years as a professor there. There was mm -hmm. a guy there who studied uh, Mayan culture. Wow. And he found, he found in one of the ruins an astronomer's workshop. It was fascinating, oh, wow. an, an astronomy workshop. <laughs> Right. It was there were there were like astronomical equations, like equations, you know, there was math yeah. going on. There were like charts going on. <laughs> the pyramid the Mayans chalkboard. were incredible astronomers. Right. They yeah. really were. They they knew the period of Venus to some amazing accuracy, far better than than, you know, Western civilization had it until, wow. you know, the 1800s. I mean, they they were fabulous observers. If you ever go to this uh, ruin called Chitsunitsa, there's a there's oh, a yeah. building there that looks just like an observatory. And it is, it's an observatory. They didn't have a telescope, but they had this you know, domed building, it's round. And what they did was they, they, they had holes in the walls at different angles. And when a star was passing or a planet was passing and there was a reflecting pool on the bottom, if you were standing in the right spot and you saw the reflection of that star or that planet, you knew exactly what angle it was because it had to go through that hole 
that, that was cut at a particular yeah. angle. Wow. And so they, they were actually amazing observers and they could, they could do, you know, they, they, they have this very complex calendar system that is based on astronomical um, hmm. uh, phenomena. And it's, it's just, it's very cool. So the, yeah. there are people who do this. The mines are one example. Um, I have a friend in Australia who is interested in uh, Aboriginal astronomy and I've, I was fortunate, I lived in Australia for a couple of years and I went to one of these sites where the Aboriginal had done uh, like rock carvings, like petroglyphs. And there's this one where there's uh, carved into the rock. And the, my friend makes a pretty interesting case that that emu represents a dark cloud that you can see in the sky from Australia and it's near the center of the Milky Way. It's the coal sack would be the head of it. And then there's some dark clouds. Of, and it looks, sure enough, looks like an Eden. So the, everyone, every culture right. has, wow. has looked at the stars. Now, the second piece of that question is actually kind of interesting. Going back in the records and finding what, you know, ancient observations, can that help us? And mm -hmm. the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when the, the Crab Nebula um, blew up, um, that was recorded in ancient records and we can get a pretty accurate date. The Chinese um, saw this, uh, it was visible in the daytime. And, you know, there's, I've gone to um, Chichen Itza, which is, um, no, no, I'm sorry, not Chichen, Chaco Canyon. Chaco Canyon in north, north, uh, northwestern New Mexico. Um, there's a, some cliff paintings there that show the moon and this bright star, which was, probably the crab nebula going on oh my gosh so people who are interested and in, you know you see the remnants of the soup these are these these blasts supernova blasts you know they're still around the debris from this yeah. explosion but ancient records are now helping us find when they actually went on wow and that, that helps that's astronomers cool. like figure out okay how fast is the material moving that's crazy where was that the is... where was the star that then blew up Wow. And, and they did that without, like, it's just so crazy. They did no that. No internet. Like, yeah. <laughs> no internet. No Wi Fi. No, no internet. internet. No, no Wi Fi. No computers. And well, it's just it was, like, they just discovered it themselves. Like, they didn't have communication with other researchers and across the right. world. I mean, they just figured this thing out. Individual right. communities and around the yeah. world just discovered these yeah. things by themselves, totally with yeah. no base, yeah. just base of like information. Like, what is this? And they figured yeah. it out. And the belief system then too had astronomy was a little more central to religion. Right. And so, you know, you know, uh, astrology and religion were blended and merged together. And so, you know, it wasn't just, you know, I'm really interested in the sky. They, they thought that there were prophecies to be found or yeah. omens yeah, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> connection with the cosmos. Sometimes we uh, still think that too, I think. Uh, I'm, not sure uh, yeah. that, I'm not sure we're past that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably so. true. Yeah, yeah they're, they're thinking like we got to grow this corn next year. We got to figure out what this guy's telling us. Exactly. Right. You know, there's, you know, there's certainly the practical benefit of sure. you know, calendars, right? Um, Stonehenge. Yeah. Stonehenge is a calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Talk to me about that because I don't understand. Like, I've, I, I mean, I obviously know what Stonehenge is, but what, what exactly is it like? How does that work? Like, it's measuring just differences of stars or planets or whatnot. So, like, yeah. So, like, so you know, because the Earth's axis is tilted as it orbits around the sun. The sun appears to move in the sky during the course of the year, mm -hmm. right? And so it will, it'll be further north in the summer and further south in the winter. And the sun's not moving, we're moving, you know, the earth is moving and because the earth's axis is tilted, our view, our point of view changes. But, you know, let's assume we're sitting on the earth, it would look like the sun is moving in the sky. So, if you say you know exactly where the sun rises on December 21st, the, the, you know, the, the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have a marker pointing in exactly that direction, you say, okay, the sun is exactly in that direction when it rises, I know now winter has begun, mm. right? So that's how wow. Stonehenge works. The stones are aligned in this circle and there's a viewing point right in the center of that circle and there are really prominent stones that line up with the sunrise on December 21st, the sunrise on you know, June 21st, the summer solstice, and then the, the vernal equinox. So you can, you can chart the progress of the season by where the sun appears to rise 
and that's uh, that's that's uh, repeatable year year after year. Wow. Wow. What about leap years? Does that take in leap years or has <laughs> that been messed have, up? Yeah, well, as far as we know, they didn't have leap years. <laughs> okay, right? they didn't add that. Huh? They didn't do that. So the, the whole calendar system is based on the fact that the, the moon orbits the earth in about 29 and a half days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roughly 30. Yep. Yeah. There are 365 Sometimes days. Sometimes 31. Yeah, so, so <laughs> originally they just, every time the moon went around, there was a new month. And then the, yeah. the, then it didn't, didn't line up the same place in the next year yeah and so you know they went with a system now where the, the the number of days in the month were fixed and 365 is close but it's actually 365 and a quarter yeah. Yeah. and it changed it we watched a video back in college i think about that i'm sure we've dived we've dived mm -hmm. into that ourselves but uh anyway <laughs> so the pyramids too are also aligned up with the stars right aren't they yeah. they have their own right so it looks like um so Orion, the constellation Orion was associated in Egyptian culture with, um, I think it was Osiris, one of the gods of the, the underworld. And so, you know, the Pharaoh wanted to have a safe passage to the underworld. And so a lot of the chambers have, um, you know, uh, tunnels through the side of the pyramid pointing at Orion mm -hmm. um, when, you know, at, at a certain date. So that, yeah. you know, there's safe passage to the underworld. All right, TJ, you just fired up the grill. You've got some chicken on there. You've got some burgers on there. What are you adding to add some extra flair? Oh, dude, I'm going with Ray's Rub 11 out of 10 times. Ray's Rub is a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. You can throw it on chicken, steak, burgers, veggies, whatever you want. And they've got 21 mouth-watering herbs and spices. So KFC, get that, that secret blend of 11 herbs and spices out of here, dude. 21 herbs and spices packed in this great bottle of Ray's Rub. Cooper, where can people go get Ray's Rub? Two places, CJ. They can go to raiserub.com, get themselves free shipping. They can also go to Amazon and order it and be at your house in two days. It's a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. It's delicious. We had Brody on the podcast. He's carrying on his father's legacy by promoting Ray's Rub. It's great. Give it a try right now. Well, we've strayed quite a ways from Green Bank, but... Uh, <laughs> That's all right. So, yeah. So take us... This is a question that we'd kind of joked about before we uh, jumped in here. Um, so you make a discovery at Green Bank. How do you get that out? Because everybody thinks that that, that quiet zone, that dead zone, there's no Wi-Fi, but yes, there is internet. It, yeah, in we have internet. So we, yeah. we have actually pretty good internet, right? So... Um, <laughs> so well the then internet. hell we need to have you talk to the people in trust oh, yeah, and broadband access well, in other yeah. parts yeah, the, <laughs> you can get it there yeah. in pocahontas county <laughs> exactly the folks <laughs> in pocahontas county may not have the best internet well and we we are champions of better internet service trust sure. me. yeah um so look the internet is really a, a system of mostly fiber now um but yeah. cable yeah, uh, cable. where you send packets of information uh, along uh, a wired or a or a uh, fibered system now, how you how you get those packets out into your devices? That's where Wi-Fi comes. In. So Wi-Fi is nothing more than a, an, a little local transmitter receiver that sends those packets back and forth between a modem and your desktop or your laptop or your your iPhone. But there are there are other ways to do it. You can just connect it up directly with um, a wire. That's the Ethernet system. And you know, we still get the packets to your device. You're just now tethered to the. Mm -hmm. You have to. You have to be attached by a wire, and that's what we do at Green Bank. And we're look, we're not, we're not, we're not um, internet uh, averse in any way. We we need the internet to. Yeah. yeah. To, we most of our observers, or many of our observers, actually operate the telescope themselves remotely by internet. So, they so they're not even it. they're not even on site. They're like they're, no many of them are not on site. And you wow. know, COVID, <laughs> none of them are on site now. Right, <laughs> with COVID. Everybody right, can so, work but, from home now. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I well, I shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. Uh, I once uh, operated the Green Bank Telescope from my favorite bar in Ipswich, Massachusetts. <laughs> 
had some time, you know. Was, we turn you know, this thing on, see what's going on. There was a football game on, and it's like, oh, you know, it's all right. Oh, I love it. That's that's, so that funny. might be the best thing that's ever been, best story that's been told on the podcast so far. That's up there. That's yeah, Jim's like, let's, let's cut that so I don't get. No, 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 that's yeah, yeah. Funny, I won't, that's well, cool. anyway, it's fine. Um, but, you know, most of our observers do do so remotely. So we, we and we need, the, and we, we transmit the data to them via internet. So it's not as though we don't like the internet. We love it. It's just the radio signals we don't like. The and if we're trying, if you're trying, it's like, you know, if you're trying to use your backyard optical telescope and somebody is shining a flashlight into your, into your telescope, that's, that's not good. You don't see right. the, yeah. our signals are really, really faint. And any signal that blasts well above that, we just, it'll just swamp out the signal we're trying to see. Yeah. man that's just i mean is, is this your dream is this your dream job jim is this like well, i'll um, tell you it's close to it i i yeah. you know you know emperor of the universe would be a better yeah. one but, <laughs> but this one is pretty good no it really is i mean I, I i really love astronomy and i i feel i can make a difference um mm -hmm. running an observatory and getting the best science out of it and getting the staff to to mm -hmm. produce at their optimum. Look, the staff at Green Bank are absolutely fantastic. Really professional people, really dedicated, really committed. Yeah. I, I couldn't have a better staff. It is, I'm, yeah. I'm just, you know, we just need to, um, to bring in enough money and enough resources that we can do the, do the job that we really aspire to. So we're, we're, we're okay, but we'll, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's a bright future. Well, I'm, it's yeah. just so cool to think. I mean, people, you initially think of West Virginia, you don't automatically think space, but then you slow down and think about Katherine Johnson, Homer Hickam, like yep. Green Bank. Like we play a vital in all the research that WVU does with their team. Like we play a vital role in space, West Virginia does. And it's just so cool to to hear about it. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we could have you on and, and be able to and bear with our questions about aliens <laughs> and whatnot. But I think a lot of people have learned, learned quite a bit, including myself. So we're, we're super thankful for you to come on, Jim. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. Dr. Jim Jackson. Hey, buddy, thank you very much for coming on and entertaining all of our wild questions. <laughs> Probably about as wild as the state of West Virginia itself, but really do appreciate you taking some time to talk about Green Bank and the world around us. So, and the stars above too. So <laughs> thanks again, man. Really appreciated it. For everybody else still listening, hey, thank you again for tuning in. Now that we are in 2022, it is very, very early. If you guys have somebody that you think we need to talk to, now is the time to let us know more than ever because 2022, man, we are trying to go big because we're not going home. And we want to be able to speak with some of the incredible West Virginians that we know are out there. Maybe we don't know them yet, but we know that they are out there and hopefully you can be the bridge to get us to those people. So if you have any guest recommendations, please shoot us a note everywhere. We're on every social media platform, major social media platform at least. And then our email is always open, mountaineermediapodcast at gmail.com. So make sure to check out our website, mountaineermedia.org. All of our new blogs are out. We've uh, got a jam-packed merch store as well, so slide on over there. If you still, still need some uh, late Christmas presents or early New Year's presents, just uh, go ahead and check that stuff out. So, again, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll be back soon. Peace.